Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So in middle school, that's a story I don't even know if you know or not. In middle school, my mom did, uh, she, she completed her bachelor's degree in college she went to Liberty University, so she did distance learning from home. Um, it wasn't like online. Like she had to have a box of VHS tapes shipped to the house <laughs> to do a course, okay? So part of the requirement for, for this was for one week every year, she had to go on campus to study. And so one summer, we decided we would make it sort of a family vacation. And so we went to Lynchburg, Virginia for one uh, week in the summer. She went to class. My sister and dad and I would do all sorts of things while she was in class, and in the evening, we'd hang out. So one evening... We were on campus, and we were down on the track at the campus, the track and field. And there were some hurdles that were on the track. There's a couple there just kind of around. And so I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to jump these things. I'm going to do it. And so I'm just athletic enough to make people think I'm athletic, right? <laughs> and so I actually, there was one that was kind of shorter, and I actually jumped it. And I thought, oh, Olympics, here I come, you know. <laughs> and so I did a couple times. Then I thought, I'm going to do a higher one. There was a higher one on down, <clears throat> and that was a mistake. <laughs> so I, um, it's kind of fog. I mean, my brain jostled when I fell. But as you can, so I got over, and my front foot got over, but my back toe clipped the hurdle, and down I went. And I landed really hard on my arm, like all my body weight on the track on my arm. And I thought I had broken my arm being stupid, right? <laughs> Turns out it just hurt really bad for a few days. I, didn't even, I think my dad just said something like rub some dirt on it or I don't know. We didn't go to the doctor. We didn't do any, none of that nonsense, right? Uh, my wrist, I probably did sprain my wrist and it hurt for a while, but it, it, no harm, no foul. So today we're finishing up our series called The Games. The Olympic Games are all but wrapped up. I think today's the closing ceremonies. And so a lot of the second week of the Olympics is track and field. So the swimming's a lot of the first week, and the second week is mainly track and field. And as I can attest to personally, I think one of the most difficult things uh, with track and field is hurdles, right? I know from experience, it's not easy. Uh, having to run as fast as you can, and yet having the timing and uh, stability and agility and balance to be able to jump hurdles and then just keep running fast and jump and keep going. I mean, it's crazy to watch these people do that. And so I mentioned the hurdles because we're talking about hurdles today. And here's the number one rule with hurdles. There's only really one rule, and that is you don't avoid hurdles. You jump over them. So when, you, when the person's going on the 100-meter hurdle race, they don't show up and say, oh, those things are in the way. I'm not going to do this. Okay? When they get to the race, they don't try to limbo under them. That's not you have to get over them. You can't just throw them out of your way. That, that, you, know, you can't avoid them. You have to go over them. And so this idea is true. And the whole point of this series is we're comparing a life of faith to an athletic event. And it's the same thing with a life of faith. There are hurdles in a life of faith. 
and you can't avoid them, you have to jump over them. You have to overcome them. So we're going to talk about two main hurdles today uh, that affect, I think, everyone, but especially in your life of faith. You will see these two hurdles come up over and over and over again. So we'll talk about what these are and why they are so challenging and then how to jump over them. Okay, we're going to look at what the two hurdles are in a life of faith, why they're so challenging, really the root causes of each of them, and then how to overcome, how to jump over these hurdles. So the two main hurdles that we're going to talk about today that we face in life, but especially in a life of faith, are doubt and temptation. These are two hurdles that we are all going to face in a life of faith, doubt and temptation. So let's talk about what these mean just for a second. So doubt, questions about faith reservations about faith or spiritual matters, uncertainty uh, when it comes to what God is doing or why didn't he do this or why did he allow that, all sorts of things. So for all sorts of reasons on all sorts of different levels, we will face doubt. And then temptation, sort of a working definition that we'll look at today, temptation is simply an appealing choice or decision that if made will have negative consequences. Temptation is simply an appealing choice or decision that, if made, will have negative consequences. And again, the same rule applies in the hurdles of a life of faith as in actual physical hurdles in an Olympic race. You cannot avoid hurdles. You have to jump over them. So again, we'll look at what are the, what are, there's two root causes I want to focus our time on today. Two root causes, the same two causes for both of these hurdles. At first, a few weeks ago when I had this sort of idea in my brain, I was going to attack them both differently and talk about them differently. But I really felt like God told me a couple weeks ago, no, no, it's actually the same. The same things cause doubt to be challenging and temptation to be challenging. It's the same two things. So that's what we're going to look at today. So what challenges... Uh, do the hurdles of doubt and temptation pose in our life of faith? And they are challenging, both of them, for the same reasons, because they can both be deceiving and they can both cause us to rationalize. Both doubt and temptation can be deceiving or are deceiving, and they can both cause us to rationalize. But I want to do a play on words here to get us to see these ideas in maybe a totally unique way. So we're going to do. We're going to look at this word deceiving and this word rationalize and break down the words in sort of a different way, okay? So deceiving can also look like deceiving, okay? Something is deceiving because it affects what we see, uh, what we don't see, and how we see everything. Both doubt and temptation do that. It affects what we see, what we don't see, and how we see. And, And also, when we rationalize, either doubt or temptation, what we're actually doing is telling ourselves rational lies. That's what it means to rationalize. I'm telling myself, it sounds right, but it's not. It sounds correct, but it's incorrect. It sounds like a good reason, but it's probably just an excuse. So we're going to look at these are the root causes or the challenges of both doubt and temptation. So we'll, we'll look at each of these root causes, both hurdles for each cause, and then how to overcome them. Because it doesn't do you any good if we just state the obvious. These things are difficult, no duh. But what do I do with that? How do I jump over? How do I train myself to not clip that the, with my back foot so I don't fall on my face and hurt my arm? That sort of thing. So we're going to look at these ideas of deceiving and rational lies. Let's start with deceiving. 
Start with deceiving. So with doubt, we'll look at these one by one. So with doubt, doubt is deceiving or can be deceiving because doubt, we, with doubt, we only see what's in front of us. Doubt causes us to see only what's right in front of us. Let me give you three quick biblical examples. So Abraham is a great example of this. Abraham is called by God, and he says, um, hey, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you, and you're going to be great. Your name's going to be great, and you're going to have multitudes of descendants. The only problem is Abraham, when he hears this, it sounds great, but all he can see is what's in front of him. What's in front of him is me and my wife are both beyond a childbearing age, we're both old. Don't take offense to that, anybody, okay? <laughs> we're both old, and my wife's barren. That's going to be a problem. So when Abraham hears this, again, it sounds great, sounds wonderful. Yeah, God, let's go with that. Let's do that. However, that is not possible. What you've said is going to happen cannot happen. Doubt. Now, Abraham is a great man of faith, and there's, there's really no record of him even having a conversation like this. Like, well, God, I don't know. I'm going to guess there are some dark moments in Abraham's psyche during this period of waiting, especially when God says it and then it doesn't happen for years, and you're like, okay, wait, what happened? Where did you go, God? What, did, did I miss something? Am I off track? What's the problem? Even great people of faith are going to have great moments of doubt. So Abraham has that, I'm sure, moments where things just don't make sense. He, doubt wants us to see only what's in front of us. Moses as well, he's called by God, and he's been given this huge commission. Hey, Moses, I want you to lead an entire nation of people out of bondage, slavery. And what does Moses do? He has doubt right off the bat. Why? He only sees what's in front of him. He says, hey, God, I'd love to, but I have a stuttering problem. How am I going to talk to Pharaoh and tell him anything when I can't even talk? And then he says, all I have is this staff. What, what, am I going to shake it really hard at Pharaoh and say, you better listen to God? I'm like, he always sees as a stutter and a staff. Moments of doubt for this great man of faith at the very beginning, because all he sees is what's in front of him. When it comes to Jesus, why did most people reject him? Because they only saw what was in front of them. They saw this kind of weird, eccentric teacher He's saying some things that he says the law says, and I'm not seeing that in the law. He's butting heads with these highly respected religious elites, and I don't know how I feel about that. And he just does these miracles. Is he a con man? Is he out to, you know, do these tricks to make himself wealthy and well-known? Like, people got caught up in doubt because they only saw with Jesus what was right in front of them. So that's one cause of this uh, hurdle of doubt. It's deceiving. So let me ask you. Is doubt causing you to only see what's in front of you? Maybe you would say, well, all I can see is my doctor's report, and it doesn't look good. All I can see is my financial report, and it doesn't look good. And I look around my life, and all I see is dysfunction. It's all I see in front of me. I I'm trying to push through, but all I feel is pain. All I feel is grief. All I sense is hopelessness. That's all there is. It's all I can see in front of me. Or maybe you're new to faith or you, you're kind of, I kind of want to jump in, but man, all I have are questions. All I have going on is, is this God thing real? What's the deal with the Bible? Does prayer actually work or is it just me talking out loud to myself to feel good? If I become a Christian, is everything going to be great? Because I see Christians around me and their lives are 
awful some of the, sometimes, or maybe you're new to faith, you're like, I thought if I loved Jesus, everything would be just rosy all the time. And maybe we become disillusioned because maybe all you can see is what's right in front of you. Doubt can certainly be deceiving. Let's look at temptation, and then we'll come again to how we cross these hurdles. So the hurdle of temptation can be deceiving for the opposite reason. Okay, so with doubt, we only see what's in front of us, but with temptation, we don't see what's in front of us. That's where temptation can be so uh, deadly. Let me give again two biblical examples, both very well known. First one is at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, okay? They face a moment of temptation, and they give in to it because they don't see what's right in front of them. So when God makes them, puts them in this wonderful, perfect paradise garden, he gives them dominion over everything. All the animals, all of the fish, all of the birds, they're over those creatures. And they can have everything in the garden. They can eat all of, everything from the garden except for one tree. God gives them de- complete dominion over 99.99% of the world. Okay, But then when a serpent comes in and says, hey, but what about that one thing that you can't have? And what does he do? He says, did God really say don't eat of that tree? Now, the obvious answer is right in front of them, right? The answer is yes. There is only one rule in the universe at this point, and it's don't mess with that one tree. And so the the answer is right in front of them, but they ignore that. They ignore God's command, and they ignore God's blessing. Again, 99.99% is not good enough for you you got to have the one thing, like a child, that God said you can't have or can't even touch or you will die. But that's what they did. They gave in to this temptation. They were deceived because they, only, they did not see what was in front of them. Another famous example is King David, his temptation uh, with this woman named Bathsheba. Now, the beginning of this story, sometimes we feel like we know all the details, but they're not all in there. So it, this doesn't mean that David is like this, you know, creep who's checking out his neighbor, you know. We don't know that that's the case. So the, the story goes that David goes out on his balcony and he sees the woman next door bathing on her rooftop. So she's not necessarily doing anything wrong, and he may not be necessarily doing anything wrong either. It's not like he's a peeper or anything, okay? This is normal, natural in this time and place and culture. So for lack of a better term, David gets like a sneak peek, okay? And temptation then comes in. And so what does he do? He only sees, like literally, what's in front of him. And he decides, all these red flags that should be going off, I'm going to totally ignore and have this crazy affair with this woman. And again, there were obvious signs in front of him. He should have said, no, 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 this is not going to work. First of all, adultery. It's like one of God's top ten. It's literally, literally written in stone, Okay? He just went, forego that, just forego that rule, okay? And then not only is it just any woman, but it happens to be his best friend's wife, right? That's another red flag. Let's not sleep with my best friend's wife. Not a good idea. And then also, it's an abuse of power. If David were just a regular guy on the other side of the street, he could never have done this because he got the guards basically to bring this woman into him. Now, whether she was complicit or not, we don't know. So it could have been even worse than just abuse of power. Um, but we know at least it was that. All these red flags going off that are obvious right in front of him, and he did not see what was in front of him. Temptation can make us really stupid. Pardon my language, right? But temptation can really make us stupid. We blatantly ignore what's right in front of us. We suppress our conscience. We ignore scripture. We forego common sense. 
And like Adam and Eve, we exhibit ingratitude. I have all these things, but the one thing I can't have or this thing I shouldn't do, I'm going to have, I'm going to do. And then what we do that's most, I think, terrible is we undervalue the risk that we're taking when temptation comes. Let me just pause for a second. I meant to say this earlier, but let me say it now. Neither doubt nor temptation are sins. Okay, so when you wrestle with doubt, that does not mean you're sinning, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Temptation's the same way. Again, we've defined it by it's simply a, an option or a choice that is laid before you. That is not sinful. To be tempted to do something is not sinful. It's the giving in part that causes problems. Okay, I just want to make sure I make that really clear. But when we, with temptation, what we do that's dangerous is we undervalue the risk. We don't consider the consequences in the moment. What could I lose if I do this? What good thing am I exchanging for this other thing? Is it worth a reputation? Is it worth a career? Is it worth your family to make that decision, to give in to this temptation? Temptation can certainly be deceiving because we, we don't see what's right in front of us. So the question is, though, how do we clear this hurdle? How do we clear this deceiving hurdle with both doubt and and temptation. Let's look at it here for, for just a minute. So with doubt, first, doubt wants us to only see what's in front of us, only what's in front of us. So to clear this hurdle, we have to see what's beyond us. Doubt, with doubt, we only see what's in front of us, but we, to clear the hurdle, we have to see what's beyond us. Let me go back through quickly these three examples from the Old Testament that I mentioned earlier. So Abraham, he's called by God to make a great nation, but all he sees is, is age and barrenness. So what he had to do was see beyond what was in front of him to God's promise. If this being that's talking to me that I can't see and don't know and never heard of before, if he really is who he says he is, then he will come through. Abraham had to see beyond what was in front of him. Moses, all he saw was a stutter and a staff. But what he had to do was see God's help beyond the stutter. And God did that. He came through and said, hey, your brother is an excellent speaker. Let's have him come in and help you with this. And he did that. And then he says, well, all I have is a staff. God said, see beyond that piece of wood in your hand, put it on the ground and see what my power can do. It turned into a serpent. And that came in handy later on, both in front of Pharaoh and in front of the Red Sea. So Moses had to see beyond what was in front of him to overcome his hurdles of doubt. With Jesus, with the people that were doubting him or questioning him or not sure about him, there was doubt there. Well, his disciples saw beyond what was right in front of them. They saw God's anointing on him. They sensed God's power on him. They felt something really down deep true in the word that he was proclaiming. They had to see beyond what was right in front of them to overcome their hurdle of doubt. And let me mention one more story that I think will, will tie in perfectly with our lives. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, the Old Testament prophet Elisha is, is the, like the national prophet of Israel at the time. And so what God is using him for at the moment is all these enemies are attacking Israel. But God is basically telling Elisha beforehand who's attacking and from where. So Elisha goes to the king and says, hey, watch out on your left flank for this country. They're coming tomorrow in a sneak attack. And they're prepared every time. So the, king, the kingdom of Aram is, is the big uh, guy at the time, the big kingdom uh, at the time attacking Israel. And the king obviously is getting pretty perturbed that Israel is ready for them every time. And he thinks, he thinks he has a spy in his camp. So he questions his dudes. They say, no, 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 there's this prophet over there named Elisha, and somehow he knows exactly what we're doing and when we're doing it and where. And so the king says, let's go get him. 
And so here's what happens. 2 Kings 6, starting at verse 14, says, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what shall we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now stop for a second. Two guys in a tent, surrounded by an army. Elisha was not good at math, clearly, right? There's more of us than them. Don't worry, you know. So then it says, Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So in your doubt, all you may see is the unpredictable, the what could be, worst case scenario. With your questions, all you may see is the unknown. In your situation, all you may see is it's unsolvable, it's unfinished, it's never going to happen. But let me encourage you to look with eyes of faith beyond what you can see in front of you to a God that can do anything. That's the challenge today. See with spiritual eyes that God is with you, empowering you to do what you cannot do, guiding you to go where you would never think to go, giving you words you would never think to say because he's with you. You're never outnumbered if God's on your team. You can clear any hurdle, even this hurdle of, the, of deceiving doubt. So let's look at how to, hurdle, how to get over the hurdle of temptation, the deceiving hurdle of temptation. So again, in times of temptation, we don't see what's right in front of us, the obvious thing to do. So to clear this hurdle, we have to instead choose to see what is ahead of us. So we have to pay attention to warning signs and red flags. So I gave sort of a, a list of, of what temptation causes us to do to be really dumb. Let me look at that again. And then the opposite of those things is how we clear the hurdle. It just makes sense, right? So uh, temptation is deceptive because it causes us to suppress our conscience. So instead, we should listen to our conscience. God gave it to us for a reason. Let's use it and not waste it. Uh, temptation may cause us to ignore Scripture, that's why we give into it. Instead, we should just simply obey Scripture instead of ignore it. Many times with temptation, we give in because we forego common sense. But instead, take a second and pause and pull yourself back from your situation and say, if my friend were facing this dilemma, what would I tell them to do for their good? Yeah, just go ahead and sleep with her. No problem. What's the worst that could happen? I would never tell my friend to do that. So why would I do that? Right? Yeah, go ahead and cheat on your taxes. No problem. Who's going to find out? Uh, I would never, well, no, I would never tell my neighbor <laughs> to do that. So why would I do that? And it's even little bitty things, right? Little thing here. Little, I would never encourage my friend or coworker or neighbor to do that. So why would I do that? It would be helpful instead of foregoing common sense to think, okay, what advice would I give me? And I should do that instead. Many times we give in a temptation because we exhibit ingratitude. So instead, be grateful for what you have instead of pining for that little thing that you don't have. If I did that, I could make more money. Well, it's kind of shady, right? Do you really need that extra whatever? No, you probably don't. So uh, we want to be grateful for all that we have instead of ungrateful for what we don't have, or for what we do have, I'm sorry. And then the other thing is we undervalue the risk and give in to temptation. So I would just encourage us to weigh the risk. 
think, ask those questions to yourself out loud. Is it worth giving up this for that? The answer is probably always no, so think about it. It's just not worth it. Stop and think. So do you have these, maybe at your workplace, uh, you have inspirational posters, maybe in the lobby or in the break room or in the office or maybe in your office or your boss's office, they'll have these, uh, you know, inspirational posters, you know, like with a, a cliff on it and it'll say, you can do it, or even the Nike swoosh just says, just do it. That's encouraging, right? Um, so I have an inspirational poster that I, want, I made that I want to share with you. And anybody, anybody a fan of the show The Office? Okay. You're in church, you don't want to admit it, I understand. Okay, uh, anyway, that's my favorite TV show of all time. I've watched it a billion times over and over. Kim is shaking her head because she knows it's true. There's a character in the show named Dwight Schrute, and I want to share with you some wisdom from Dwight today. Here's your encouragement on how to resist temptation. He says, whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Solid life advice. How do you resist temptation? Follow Dwight's advice. Would an idiot do that thing? If they would, I do not do that thing. So to clear the hurdle of doubt, you have to see beyond what's in front of you. To clear the deceiving hurdle of temptation, you have to see what is ahead of you. Danger ahead, red flag, problem, danger, Will Robinson, okay? I'll just leave that one alone, okay. Here's, um, here's the, second, the second main cause of both of these hurdles, or the second hurdle for both of these issues, and it's the rational lies. So we'll look at what, what rational li- how we rationalize doubt and temptation and how to clear this hurdle. So the rational lies that we tell ourselves about doubt is that we, must, we believe we must overcome all doubt. This is especially true, I think, when it comes to faith. We'll say things like, well, I can't have any questions in order to go all in on my faith. I've got too many reservations, too many unknowns, too many things that are unclear. I don't know if I can really believe. I have to have every detail figured out before I'll just jump in with both feet in the deep end. Or I have to have all aspects of faith. They all must make sense before I commit to Jesus, okay? If this is what you're looking for, you will never find faith. And I'll say this, nothing works that way. We don't treat any other, any other area of life in this way. Let me give you some examples. Think about this. If explorers waited for certainty before going into uncharted waters, there would be no exploration. If NASA said we have to know exactly that everything's going to work perfectly, we would never have left this far off the ground. Okay? That doesn't work. Even this science, it's all about asking questions, overcoming doubt, Uh, trial and error, experimentation. It doesn't always work. Sometimes the scientists are wrong. Hold your applause. Um, But that's that's the way it works. It's questions and we're figuring it out. So there's there's doubt even in something like science. In school, imagine if I told my teacher, you know what, I'm not certain I'm going to make 100, so I'm just not going to take the test. That doesn't, I mean, Jana, teacher, she, that's not going to work. That is not how it works. You try to study to be as certain as you can be, and then you hope you do well on the test. But if, I, if my attitude is, I'm just not going to take it because I, I don't know if I'm going to get 100, it doesn't work. Or here's another one. Uh, what, if, what if your attitude was, I have to master parenting before I have children? <laughs> right? We don't behave this way except when it comes to faith. Because we 
tell rational lies. So don't feed your doubt rational lies. And we'll talk about how to do that here in just a second. Let's look then at temptation. What rational lies do we tell ourselves about temptation? So temptation is challenging in this way because, okay, with doubt, we believe we must overcome doubt. That's a rational lie. With temptation, we believe we can't overcome. That's the rational lie that we tell ourselves about temptation. Well, it's too hard. I'm too weak. I've blown it too many times. It's too late to turn back now. I'm too far gone. I can't, I can't quit now. I can't turn back. Or people even say, you know, well, I'm an addict. There's nothing I can do about that. Just how I am. I'm hardwired that way. God made me that way. I'm, I'm cursed in that way, right? These may sound right or rational, but these are all rational lies when it comes to temptation. It's like, kind of like we talked at the, at the beginning, it's kind of like a, a runner before the race in the hurdles, getting up to the starting block and saying, wow, there's a lot of hurdles there. It's going to be tough. I quit. I'm out, right? It's like disqualifying yourself before the race even starts. That's a rational lie. It's not helpful. It's not healthy. It doesn't work in any area of life, especially or even in a life of faith. So these are the rational lies about doubt and temptation that we tell ourselves that we cannot. So then again, the question is, what do we do about the rationalized hurdle with doubt and temptation? How do we clear these hurdles? Let's look at it. So with doubt, again, doubt we believe we must overcome. No questions, no objections, no issues, no problems. So to clear the hurdle, instead, we have to believe the impossible. Not believe I must overcome doubt, but in spite of that doubt, believe the impossible. So in Mark chapter 9, there's a story of a man who brings his young son to Jesus and he is demon-possessed, his son is. And he, the disciples have had a hard time. They cannot figure this one out. And so he brings him to Jesus, the master, the pro. And he says, hey, Jesus, I've got this issue. This demon's trying to kill my son. He throws him in the fire. He tries to drown him. He needs help. We need help. And so here's what he says. He says, Jesus, help him if you can. And here's what Jesus says to him, Mark 9, 23. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked, Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Again, doubt itself is not a sin. Having questions, even about faith, even about life, even about the Bible, even about God, those are not in and of themselves sinful. The problem is when we don't even try to clear the hurdles of doubt, and feed ourselves these rational lies that I have to have it all figured out, that's when we lose faith. That's when it can become dangerous and dark and problematic. So again, I want to make sure I make that pretty clear here. Even great people of faith have great moments of doubt. You are no exception. I am no exception. So when it seems impossible, believe the impossible. When you lack it in the natural, believe the supernatural. That's what God tends to do. That's what he specializes in is the supernatural. And really when it comes to a life of faith, this is the only option that we have if we're going to live a life of faith is to believe despite our unbelief. And here's why. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So because we aren't God, we're not always going to have all the answers. Because we're not God, we're always going to face doubt to some degree all the time. 
Because we aren't God, we will never have everything figured out. So let me say something that may sound forceful, but it needs to be said. If your doubts that you have are genuine, you can learn to live with this tension. I don't quite get it, but I trust God anyway. I don't see how he's going to make a way, but I believe he will. If, you're, if your doubts are genuine and your faith is genuine, you'll be able to live within that tension. However, if your doubt is just trying to poke holes in everything, if your doubt is simply trying to find fault in a belief system, if your doubt is just waiting for the perfect time to believe, you're never going to find real faith. You're never going to find it. Because if, it were, if, it, if there weren't doubt involved, it wouldn't be called faith. It would be called certainty. And it's called faith. Because I don't know everything. I am limited. Uh, I do have questions, but I believe despite my unbelief. So we want to be okay with that tension to clear this hurdle, the rationalize of doubt. So let's look at this last one for just a minute here. How do we clear the rationalized hurdle of temptation? So again, te- the lie that we tell ourselves about temptation is I can't overcome temptation. So to clear that hurdle with temptation, we have to instead do the necessary. Don't believe you can't overcome, but just do the necessary to attempt to overcome temptation. Let me just give two thoughts about this and then a strategy really quickly and then we'll close. First, let me say this. Don't give temptation too much power over you. Here's what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. Paul says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. This clearly answers this hurdle of rationalize. It says temptation is resistible. It is. Temptation is a hurdle that can be cleared. Now let me say this again, not perfectly every time. There are times where like me, you know, 20 or so years ago, clipped the hurdle with my back foot. I thought I, was, I thought I had beat it this time, and man, at the last second, I gave in. That's going to happen. There are even the Olympic athletes, if you watch them this week, they clip hurdles. They knock hurdles over. They don't get it perfect every time, all the time either. You're not going to either. That's where God's grace comes in. That's why if His grace exists, that's why it's available, and it is for you. When you clip that hurdle, guess what? You get up and you keep running the race and get ready for the next hurdle to come. You keep going and you don't quit. And so don't give it too much power. You can beat it. It is is resistible. Secondly, don't give temptation too much credit. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, James writes this. Remember, when you are being tempted. So again, that's important. Not if you are tempted, if you're a terrible Christian. It's not what he said. When... Because it's going to happen when you're being tempted. Do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Here's the power of temptation. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and then when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Do not believe the rational lie that temptation is this super strong, mystical force in the universe that I just can't overcome. That's a lie. James says, temptation, your temptation comes from within you. My temptation comes from within me. Again, temptation is simply an appealing choice or decision that if made will have negative consequences. So to clear this hurdle of temptation, we have to do the necessary. It's not believing I can't do anything, but it's, no, you can. Just do it. Again, I should have the Nike swoosh on here. Just do it, the necessary. What does that mean? 
It means things like just resist impulsivity. Tell yourself no sometimes. That's a great way to resist temptation. No. You know, you have to literally smack your hand. Do it. If you smack yourself in the face, which I'm not going to do, do it, okay? Stop and think. That's part of impulsivity. Have difficult conversations with people. If they're a source of temptation, have a conversation with them. Be accountable. We talked about it last week. Find people in your life that you can share anything with, that can share anything with you, and do it. Be accountable to someone. Maybe you have to make changes in your life or your habits or whatever to avoid further temptation. I didn't say it's going to be easy, but I said it's necessary, and we have to make the effort to try to clear the hurdle. Maybe you have to distance a relationship or end a relationship. Hey, you're just bad news for me right now. I can't help but get into trouble when we're around, so we got to change this thing. we got to limit this thing. we got to cut it off. Again, it's not easy, but if we want to clear the hurdle of temptation, we have to do the necessary. So again, as we close, remember, you don't avoid hurdles. You jump over them. So with doubt, don't just see what's in front of you, but see what's beyond you in faith. With doubt, don't believe that you must remove all questions and all doubt, but believe despite your unbelief. With temptation, don't ignore what's in front of you, but see what's ahead of you. And don't believe that you can't overcome temptation, but do what you can and do what you must to attempt to clear that hurdle. So it's my belief that as we use these strategies with these difficult topics that we deal with all the time, we can run our race well and run to win.